Hey everyone, welcome to Simplexity, where we simplify the complexities of life and add a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful and sometimes difficult conversations. I'm your host, Allison Stoner. I have a question for you. Using your best judgment and all your knowledge, what is the most pressing issue we currently face as a human family? A, poverty. B, war. C, equality, D, education, or E, health. Pause and think about it if you need to. You got your answer? Okay, mine is F. None of these are relevant if our planet is no longer inhabitable or we go extinct. Does it seem dramatic? Follow me for a second. See, Our boots are strapped to the ground for our favorite causes, and our heads are high in the clouds with our personal and professional dreams, and both are beautiful facets of being human and being alive. But today, we pause and bring our nose to the fresh dirt to reconnect with the very place we came from and will return to when our time expires, planet Earth. You can call it Terra Mater, Mother Nature, Prithvi Mata, Geb Gaia. For all intents and purposes today, I'm calling it home. If you can, I encourage you to listen to this episode outside in the company of the sun or stars, wind or rain in our shared biosphere. Earth is a sensitive matter, pun intended. We are alive in a bone-chilling and pivotal time, and the information age and Internet of Things confirm the many environmental crises we see outside our windows and here on the news. You can delve into desertification and deforestation or pick your pollution, be it air, water, soil, land, light, noise, or agricultural. You can mention mining or Google what the frick is fracking. You can wade into waste of any sort, household, industrial, radioactive, medical... Or you can regret our resource and ozone depletion. You can rhyme our predicaments, overpopulation, genetic modification, and type in twofers like acid rain, urban sprawl, natural disasters, overfishing, biodiversity loss. But how did we veer so far away from home that we've forgotten who we are, where our frame of reality and day-to-day duties can be so destructive and negligent yet we feel so little remorse and attachment. Where do we even begin to solve the biggest problems? Is doom incumbent? Or is all of this just a political fear tactic and conspiracy theory? These are great questions that require compassion, acceptance, and self-reflection as much as urgency. And thankfully, we have here on the show one of the world's foremost experts on sustainability, which is the capacity for the biosphere and human civilization to coexist, typically defined by three pillars, environment, economy, and society. Jamie Knack is the president of Three Squares, Inc., a cutting-edge sustainability consulting firm specializing in developing comprehensive sustainability plans for corporate, government, and nonprofit entities. Her materials have been translated to 13 languages and strategies implemented on seven continents, including Antarctica. Knack is known for her role as director of sustainability and greening operations for the 2008 Democratic Convention, which was the first time in history measures were taken to reduce environmental impact. She also founded OneDrop, 
interactive, and employee engagement platform maximizing sustainability management and cost savings. She has a master's in public policy, international trade from UCLA, where she also earned her bachelor's in international economics with a minor in urban planning. She proudly serves as one of Vice President Al Gore's presenters for the Climate Reality Project. Jamie, thank you for being with us today. Hello. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Allison. Yes, we met in the Arctic. By now, people are like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. We met in the Arctic. We met in the Arctic. <laughs> yeah. T- to start, what drew you toward environmentalism and sustainability? Was it a-, a sense of moral duty or altruism or were you looking at business? So I think I've always been driven by um, the desire to affect change around, on the landscape around me, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that whether the, it was civil rights focused or environmental focused. When I think back to kind of my early years, I feel like I was molded by how I was raised by my family, you know. And so my grandmother um, back in New York, she grew up during the Great Depression. So she lost her mother at an early age. And so I heard these stories of Grandma Sally um, being able to feed her five brothers with one potato and a can of soup or something like that. Right. And so the the ethos of of not being wasteful and maximizing the resources that you have um, and, and really being grateful for what you have, I think, translated and was passed from my grandmother to my mother and how she raised me. Um, And so that, you know, that was always in the background of my mind. And then I was always also taught that it was my duty to not be silent. And if I saw injustice in the world or something that didn't feel right, I needed to do something about it. Mm. Um, And so over the course of high school and then college years, you know, that changed from, you know, I was very passionate about civil rights early on. And then I started seeing environmental um, justice issues happening um, in communities around, around, I went to UCLA, so communities around greater Los Angeles, and just became very passionate about, you know, how can we do something about this? And I, I, I took it on. Right. So from your point of view, what is your current assessment of the environment? What are the biggest concerns? And are they provable with facts and statistics? I think the easiest way to think about it is we're in a time of extremes. So extreme, you hear the term extreme weather, right? And, you know, you can't turn on the news without seeing fires burning Mm -hmm. in Australia or the Amazon Mm -hmm. um, or contamination of waterways. I mean, it's, it's pretty much, you know, everywhere you look, you hear about these issues and you have to start thinking about you know, if, if you question climate science or um, the studies or the IPCC report, you know, sometimes it gets too heady. But I think what I like to do is really take it down more into the heart in terms of what are you witnessing around you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, almost everyone knows someone who ha- is, is impacted by some type of public health issue related right. to the environment. It's impacting our bodies in the same way it's impacting the world around us. So then what specifically or what's your working definition of sustainability and why does it matter? Why does it matter? So sustainability, and the definition, you know, if you Google it, is to live in a way or take care of the earth in a way that sustains itself for future generations to come, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think we're there's been a pivot to regenerative, a focus on not just sustaining, but let's actually create a way of living where we're actually regenerating and mm-hmm. making it better for future generations and using mm-hmm. what we have and keep putting it back into into our ecosystem in a way that betters um, the that planet possible? that we live in. It's definitely possible. I mean, when you think of regenerative agriculture, it's a way of using the earth and um, enriching, having having the resources of the earth, you know, soil being one of them, 
them yeah. um, continue to just, uh, you know, be the gift that keeps giving versus right. looking at that resource and abusing it and using it till it's no longer there for us. Wow. I mean, because we've seen Cosmos, we've seen Planet Earth, National Geographic, March of the Penguins. Yeah. You know, the past decades have brought us these visual knockouts starring nature. And, and so it's you'd think it would foster a kinship and veneration for planet Earth. And yet we actually are mostly consuming it as entertainment and then leaving the theater with our paper bag of popcorn and um, driving home in our cars to these urban, you know, industrial cities and yeah. we're sardined in our apartments. And I'm confused at the cognitive dissonance of it all. From your perspective, when did we rip out our roots and at what cost are we protecting our modern civilizations? I think a cognitive dissonance is something that I think about all of the time. Yeah. And I think it, it it is definitely clear when you look at climate, and, and, and but it's clear when you look at anything, even just how we take care of our bodies, right? What we put into our bodies, what we put on our bodies, um, all of the toxins, you know, that we, that we use. Even if we yeah. know it's bad for us, we do it anyway. Right. What is that and about? I know. What is that about? So I've been I've been studying a lot about habits. Um, there are great books, Nudge, um, The Power of Habit, uh, Good Habits, Bad Habits by Wendy Wood, who's a professor down the street at UC USC. Um, but all of the, the study around habits and why humans, the, the funny creatures that we are, mm -hmm. um, do what we do. You know, if you if you dive into that, um, you'll realize that even if we know something might be bad for us, that if the structure around us is created in a way where that's the easiest option, so there's friction to do something else, mm. or um, we're not set up for success in our in our own lives, you know, mm. like when you open the fridge, if it's all junk, junk food, food, right, that's the easiest thing to grab. Yeah. And so, um, or if you live in a neighborhood where it's all, all junk food around you, right? So we have to really work on creating systems and creating a world around us that supports a healthier us and a healthier mm. planet. Yeah. Um, and that way we can help humans um, steer their habits into where we're on autopilot, but doing the things that both are good for us and keep us living healthy, fulfilled lives, but also good for this planet that we want to be able to inhabit for many more right. decades to come. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sad that you said decades and didn't feel comfortable saying centuries, right. millennia. <laughs> Um, yeah, I actually want to read something. So Google published some research by contributors uh, Kate Krontyris, apologies if I'm mispronouncing your name, John Webb, Charlotte Krontyris, and Chris Chapman on the term interested bystander. So these are folks, including myself, I will admit, who are aware of what's going on around them, but do not voice their opinions or get civically engaged, right? They don't translate it into action. I should say we. I don't translate it into action. So to, to paraphrase the key findings, almost half the U.S. can be considered interested bystanders. Uh, there's a misalignment between how we think and know we ought to act and how we actually do. So we preach about our voices mattering but we don't share our opinions or listen to others. We recognize the power of acting on local events where, you know, we can have greater influence, yet many of us only vote in national elections. So this research um, was showing that we do end up taking action only when it aligns with our self-interest or it's motivated by one of these three reasons. Um, we have personal and professional experience in, in that field. We have personal interests at stake and or we want the satisfaction of an emotionally meaningful experience. And I feel like it speaks to all of us because we have busy lives. We want to be living wisely and we want to be proactive, but we don't. We just simply yeah. don't 
take that step and walk through the door and change our behavior. So definitely recommend all the books that you you reference. Um, check them out. I'm I'm going to as well. So in terms of the U.S. lifestyle and and global lifestyles now, um, let's talk about mass consumerism and and excessive materialism. Here in the U.S., we are consumer addicts by now. Um, our lifestyles are run by making money to purchase new stuff that we often end up hoarding or discarding quickly. And it seems preposterous to believe that the machine and monster we've created could ever slow down, especially when our economic global status and personal fulfillment depend on it. But the internet and rapidly increasing ability for us to efficiently create products and services without the middlemen or the high... Um, you know, marginal cost shows a shift toward uh, an economic model of more collaborative commons where, you know, capitalism can potentially take a back seat in a way or just not being the starring figure. And I'm wondering what are some ways with the environment in mind that we need to remodel our economy in order to be more environmentally conscious? So I think back to the, the in uh, interested bystander. Yeah. And you said that you feel that you are that in that in, in some, some ways. way. So I would argue the exact opposite. Okay. I think and I think, you know, whether you're Alison Stoner and you have you have millions of followers or or if you're the person who hasn't even set up their Instagram account yet, um, you have influence. You you meaning the viewer out there um, and your influence might not be the, the millions of people you reach online, but every decision that you make in life, you're you are then using your influence to influence someone else. You know, whether you're having a conversation with your family, whether you're talking to your coworker at work, whether you're deciding which car to drive or not to drive and to yeah, take the bus. Wow. I mean, these decisions that you make daily are a way that you're shaping your impact on on the environment around you in a micro and macro way. Mm. Um, the more you take that influence to the voting booth um, or to you know speaking your voice on certain topics that that might matter from a policy perspective, that's great. But I don't want that to be the only way that you can act. I mm. think people need to feel that um, every bit matters. And um, from the consumerism standpoint, I think you know you also have pushed out the, the minimalist um, approach, which I think is fantastic because. Mm. Because in a way, we're bombarded with images of buy this and you can be a better person if you show up in X, Y or Z um, material item. And I think um, what what I've seen with the younger generations is they're really embracing this back to analog, you know, back to thrifting, back to sharing, yeah. um, getting old items and making them new again by personalizing them and sewing on their patches and things like that. Um, and so that type of swapping and thrifting and even the fact that vinyl, so records, yeah. um, record sales have gone up um, higher. Really? Yes. Wow. So, I mean, it's kind huh. of this back to analog, which I think is is a result of people feeling burnt out yeah. by this new digital age in a way. So as consumers, how can we be more responsible in some like specific ways? What questions do we need to ask? What values do we need to adopt? In terms of products, I always like to ask three things. Okay. Um, where is it made? So and that where could be is it made if you're if you're we're here in the U.S 
U.S.? So is it made in the U.S.? If you're in another country, is it made in your country? Is it made in your state or region? Um, so where is it made is important. How is it made? So is it made using fair labor practices? Who makes it um, in, a, in a factory or manufacturing process mm-hmm. that is respectful of the environment and the people that work there? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it made from? So is it made from plastic, a petroleum-based product? Is it made from potentially recycled metal or recycled materials or something? And then where? what is the end-of-use plan for it, right? Mm-hmm. So can it either um, go back into society as something else? Um, does it have a long-term lifespan? So, you know, there are brands like Patagonia, and they, they, they market themselves as, you know, we want you to buy this jacket, and we want it to last you a lifetime. We don't want you to come back to us and buy a new jacket next year. Awesome. And so that way of thinking, I think, is something that we really need to start to, to go back to. I have a silly question. Yeah. Is it worse for us to buy products that are made outside of our country? That's a, that's not a silly question at all. So the reason why I say where it's made is um, back to the climate science piece. So a big chunk of emissions is related to transporting people, so flights, transporting people, and transporting goods, right? So mm-hmm. um, goods movement happens by air freight, um, shipping, truck, rail. Um, so the more that we can reduce this transportation footprint of the food that we eat, so buying local food at farmers markets. Mm-hmm. I know I've seen you post some beautiful pictures yes. of your loot from your from your farmers market halls. Yeah. Um, so buying food grown locally, which also means it's seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're eating according to the seasons, which is more of a natural way to eat. Um, buying other products that are also made locally means that it didn't come on a ship packaged and then on a ship on mm-hmm. a container to a port and then either truck by truck or by rail to your store. And this reflects a different set of values, right? Instead of just being me, 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 whatever I want, give, give it to me now, we're now adopting an attitude where we're living in respect of and for the planet and for other people and labor. And um, are there any other specific words in terms of values that come to mind that can help reshape how we we view our relationship to the earth? Um, I also think just questioning, because we're talking about buying things, questioning, do you need it? Right. Mm-hmm. And why? Because I think a lot of a lot of the, the culture of consumerism is also this filling this void. Yeah. You know, I mean, like there, there's a whole thing about people who are addicted to shopping, right? Yeah. Addicted to, to click, click, click online shopping or in-person shopping. Um, but why are they addicted to shopping? You know, and it, it's it's basically filling this void or feeling like their value is based on either how they mm-hmm. look or, or, or how many things are in their home or in their closet. And I think if you stop and pause oh. or, or even try and exercise and say, I'm not going to buy anything new, you know, this week, this month, this year, I know some people have done that. Yeah. Um, it really um, allows you to process in your mind the go through the process of why do I think I need this mm-hmm. item? Do I really need this item? Right. I know I was listening to a book called The Lean Startup, completely unrelated, um, but they were using the five why method of like you ask yourself why something, but then you proceed to do that four more times to really get to the root of a problem. Mm-hmm. So definitely recommend that. Um, if we're going beyond the consumer and speaking about companies and institutions, how do we need to redesign or adapt them to be greener? And what 
Does that correlate to the term green market thinking? So companies or cities, any type of large organization, the best step is to do an assessment and figure out what are they currently doing, right? Mm -hmm. And what I like to say is as long as they're on the journey moving forward, and that could be this is day one and they're deciding to take a step today, or it could be they've, they're an organization and they've been doing this for 30 years, but yeah. they want to amp up their efforts. Yeah. Um, it's all good. You know, we all need to start moving forward. And I think the, the important thing is not to get stuck in, in judgment or being too critical about where anyone is at this moment. Mm -hmm. Let's all look at moving forward and, and sharing lessons learned and help each other. Yeah. And that means transforming organizations from the inside out. So um, inside starts with the people, right? So the ethos of the company, is there uh, is this commitment to sustainability part of the leadership and the, and the management vision for the company? Is that baked into their mission statement right. um, and taught to their employees from day one onboarding orientation all the way through their their tenure at the at the organization, right? Mm. Um, so baking that commitment and education into the company is important, and then looking at the company's environmental footprint and social impact footprint um, throughout all of their processes, whether it's offices, warehouses, manufacturing, retail locations. And then communicate how they communicate that externally. So um, we do a lot in the events and marketing world um, for these organizations so that they can then be able to make sure that when they go out into the world and they're producing a massive launch event or something like that, yeah. um, or showing up at the Olympics or any of these large global events, they're showing up in a way that's consistent to their commitment to sustainability on mm. the inside. And I want to ask you about your playbooks. Um, but first, do you have any examples of countries or organizations who are really crushing it in a positive way? Oh, very <laughs> good question. Um, so I, I mentioned, you know, Patagonia is one that comes to mind often just because they tend to do things a little bit out of the box. Um, and they mm. were one of the earlier adopters, I would say, yeah. even with the, the move around Black Friday. And they actually said, we're closing. We encourage you not to shop us on Black Friday. I mean, awesome. that happened years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and when you think of the sustainability movement or even industry, we're still in our nascent, our, our toddler stage, mm -hmm. I would say. So even 10 years ago, the, the title chief sustainability officer um, was fairly new right. on the scene. And many companies, you know, didn't have one, didn't think they needed one. Right. And so now we're at the stage where it's, you know, Davos is happening this week and um, purpose-driven companies is you know, being talked about heavily. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things to look at is is how is a company not only talking the talk, but actually walking right. the walk in their operations. Right. Um, Unilever's former CEO, Paul Pullman, um, he recently left, but he did a great job of both being a leader, talking the talk, and then actually pushing his company to Amazing. make serious changes. Yeah, it's hard when you see large names and because I work with a ton of different brands and we can't always control the ins and outs of what they do and don't do as a company. And it, it can be really convoluted and hard to make decisions with whom I'll associate with and, you know, and do brand deals with. Um, but I, I try to be as ethical and mindful about everything at every corner and it's and it's very imperfect it's hard but i think you also can't throw the people who seem like the worst the, the bad guys you can't just throw them out you have to have a conversation with them and sometimes what i do is i realize i'm going to be representing you publicly but while we're working together i'm also going to introduce you to some new concepts even if it ends up tarnishing my reputation temporarily you might hear about some new ideas that can hopefully benefit and shift your company in the right 
right direction. And you can challenge them too. You can, right. as, as an artist or as talent, say, here's my, my writer or my requirements and I have a sustainability commitment there. And that means I'm not going to have any plastic yeah. water bottles on my set and right. I'm not going to do all of these things. And right. if you're sending a car to pick me up, it has to be this type of vehicle, et cetera. And so I think I definitely agree with you that you can't say, you know, these are the big guys and therefore they're bad. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen really strong examples. One, I'll, you know, um, people always give me a funny face when I mention it. But Walmart, um, again, probably over, I would say, maybe 10 years ago now, um, they decided to put out a survey to all of their suppliers. And that was just step one, just a mm -hmm. survey. So they didn't put out any requirements or say, we're going to drop you if you don't do X, Y, D. XYZ, they just said, what are you doing across these areas in terms of sustainability? That survey got pushed out. The ripple effect of just asking the question, what are you doing to Walmart suppliers, caused amazing, an amazing wave of change. So an wow. example is there was a, a lawnmower manufacturer. They're, they only sold to Walmart. So they would have been out of business and they got the survey. They only produced gasoline lawnmowers. They saw this signaling, right, by asking the question, it signaled that their main client and only client was looking for something different. And they said, we got, we have to change our business. We need to look at electric lawnmowers. We need to get into gear. Let's start this. Let's do this before they ask us to do it. And they changed. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. That's exciting to hear. Uh, so let's talk about your playbooks then. How do your playbooks help with all of this? Um, and does it also end up saving money and being, you know, better for business overall too? Definitely. Yeah. So we um, we ha are, are known to develop sustainability playbooks and it could be for internal operations. It could be for employee education and engagement or for events or activations or retail. Um, and who are the companies you're working with, if so, you're allowed to name them? Sure. Yeah. I, can, I can't say what, the specifics about yes. what we're doing, but we work with Honda, Nike, Lamborghini, Louis Vuitton, and others. <laughs> You know, just a few. Just a few. Um, so we're busy. Um, yeah. But it's great. And again, you know, they, that crosses industries from automotive to fashion to luxury. Mm -hmm. um, so to see this type of interest and, you know, they're reaching out to us. They're they're not hiring us for, for, for PR. They're hiring us to do the work, to really get right. in there and really drive change with yeah. them. And so, you know, it's exciting. It's an exciting time for us. It's exciting to be able to work on these projects. Yeah. Um, but the power of the playbook is that if we spec out, for example, um, these are your top 10 materials for events, for glo your global event footprint, mm -hmm. and these are the top 10 worst materials to use. And I'll just give you an example. Um, everyone knows a, what a poster looks like, a poster that traditionally is printed on foam core. Um, and so when you think of a foam core poster, the inner core is polystyrene, it's styrofoam. So the majority of posters that have ever been produced, whether it was from when you were a child at school um, or at you know an event around town, are in a landfill. And that styrofoam poster sits in a landfill for 500 plus years, mm. right? It's a lot of poster board in mm -hmm. landfills. Now, the industry has developed some amazing alternatives that not only are, are made from recycled materials, so made from recycled cardboard, but that instead of that styrofoam core, it's it's cardboard. So it's a honeycomb cardboard core. Mm. So it's 100% recyclable after use. It's okay. just like recycling a cardboard box. So you're saying I can't go back to my teacher and say, this is why we shouldn't do this report. 
There you go. <laughs> because there are now alternatives. There you go. <laughs> and my teacher can just be like, go make a sustainable version. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Yeah. And so our so so the joy that we have is if we can wipe out, for example, as one material, foam core, styrofoam posters from gl- global events from company X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And instead have that demand for the, the alternative, the, yeah. the eco substrate or this cardboard poster. Um, not only does it drive the cost of that cardboard poster down, so it's more affordable for everyone you know around the world to use yeah. it um, but we've now removed that amount of foam core from landfills all over the world wow yeah see i what i appreciate is that you have such an optimistic yeah. <laughs> viewpoint and i think we have to yeah. stay hopeful in this we have to not hopeful um and apathetic hopeful and very very active um so we're going to take a quick break and we will come right back with more jamie knack Welcome back. We're here chatting with Jamie Knack on all things planet Earth and sustainability. So um, society and culture pass information down from generation to generation. And by now, we here in the U.S. and around the world have had centuries of treating the planet like it's something to be subdued and mastered instead of something to be in harmony with. Fundamentally, in order to make these drastic changes, we not only have to change consumer behavior, but we have to change the human narrative of society. Um, Jeremy Rifkin said, we have to shift from geopolitics to biospheric consciousness. And basically overnight at this point, if you were to write the green approved manual for human beings, how would we change our story? What does a a smart, eco-friendly society look, think, and act like? That's a tough one. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think it, the the easiest answer is actually t- step back, step it back to some of the practices that we used to have, right? So like we used to, and if you think of it, I'm thinking we meaning like 40, 50 years ago, even we used to not rely on plastic for everything, right? So we used to use mason jars and glass and other options for packaging that didn't rely on just cheap petroleum-based plastic. Um, so I think, you know, looking at learning from our, our old ways, if you will, um, but using technology and the advances of today to to really help us get us to 2020, right? Mm-hmm. We have gone a, a long way in terms of transportation options, and yet we still, here we're in Los Angeles, we still see that we're, we have societies that are just based on the car culture. Yeah. And, and, and it's par- partly in, in part because of the infrastructure that supports it, a gas station on every corner, um, not a lot of linkages between the public transit options in cities that are great, greater metropolitan areas that are that just support this urban sprawl. Mm-hmm. And so looking at how we're living today, I think it part of it is being able to. Um, think of cities and the power of cities to almost reinvent themselves in a way that supports people's ability to live where they work um, Hmm. and almost be able to support themselves in a hyper-local way. Yeah. Do you think media plays into this and just how we create stories in film and television about our relationship to the earth? Or could we potentially shift public consciousness by using media, not just on a news level and breaking news headlines, but like actual storytelling? Completely. I think if you look at at tobacco and smoking Mm. and the media campaigns or even Hollywood's campaign of, you know, not allowing people to to smoke on 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 camera, those types of things and making it not cool. um, That that was, you know, Mm. a a big effort went into that. um, But it, it phased out 
for for the most part, um, this this image of smoking is cool, right? Same thing of pl the plastic straw issue. So plastic straws have been talked about a lot over the last couple of years. So now mm -hmm. when there's almost like straw shamed in the same way that there's <laughs> flight shame in some parts of the world, right? Totally. Um, so I think the, the way that influencers and the media and Hollywood uh, and entertainment can um, set the, the norm of what is cool and what is not cool and aligning that with thinking positively about how we protect our planet. And that means we can also use our voice to keep the people in powerful positions um, accountable. And I know people constantly send me messages when they see a plastic water bottle in a photo on my feed and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, okay, yeah. you weren't there. You don't know why that was there. Yeah. You don't know my life. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're right. If I had everything on hand, there would have been no need to borrow from someone else. Um, you know, so, so today I have my water bottle. Yay. We both have our bottles. Yay, perfect. Um, but you know, there are societies and civilizations and many indigenous peoples who've been far gentler and more respectful of the planet who live in harmony. They don't waste or pollute in the same manner. Um, but they also have greater longevity too, it seems. Um, even sometimes without the advanced technology technology uh, and industrial commodities that we boast here in more developed countries. Developed is such a problematic word. Um, what are some lessons that we can learn from them and how can we also bring their voices back into the forefront as we make critical decisions about our future. I think it's super important to look at at how different indigenous communities or all indigenous communities live in harmony with the earth. I mm -hmm. think those are those are are, you know, that that is the ancient wisdom that yeah. we need to go back to. Um, yeah. And I think being inside all of the time and this disconnect from nature. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciate the fact that you ask people to step outside when they're listening to, to us today. Um, we need more time outside. We need to reconnect with the fact that it's it's us as our humans and it, and how we take care of our body, but it's also how we take care of the land that we're on mm -hmm. and pay respect to the land that we're on. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the indigenous cultures have been doing that since day one. We somehow have completely walked away from that. Right. Um, I also think that there are lessons that we can learn when we look at places in the world where people actually thrive and live longer and healthier lifestyles. So um, there is a concept called blue zones. Mm -hmm. And these blue zones that have been identified are places in the world where they have the highest number of centenarians or people who live over 100, right? Mm -hmm. And when they look at at what are the common features uh, about these areas, they see some interesting things that really correspond with the, the the habits that you need to form in order to take care of yourself and the environment. So one of the, there are nine principles. One is plant slant. So eat more of a plant-based diet, less meat, beef, etc. Um, the other is um, creating a tribe or a community and staying close having close contacts or close connections with that community. Um, and that means cross-generational as well. Mm. So it's not separating the older generations from the younger generations. Wow. It's maintaining those social connections and having a strong strong social fiber um, connecting the community. Yeah, with cer certain cultures already get. <laughs> yeah, because it's built in, right? But this Euro-American yeah. kind of monocultural 
white yeah. <laughs> approach is not always like that. Right. Downshift is another principle. Um, so whether that's meditation, prayer, time outside in nature, um, you know, being able to make sure that you're allowing your mind time to settle mm -hmm. and really take in um, the, you know, in a, in, a, in a space of gratitude where you are every day. Yeah. So having that ritual and that pattern every day is super important. Um, move naturally is the other one. Right. Instead so, of being in a gym with exactly. clunky equipment. Exactly. So have if your apartment's a five-story walk-up, which means you have to climb stairs up and down every time. Or um, for me, my garage is down a whole set of stairs. So I have mm -hmm. to walk up and down carrying bags or whatever I have. Um, and some people come over and they complain about it. And I'm like, look, this is your exercise. Just right. let's go. You know, if, right. you're, if you're able, you know, let's do it. Um, so just be, be more mindful of, again, creating the structure that supports us and yeah. supports the planet so that these habits, these autopilot actions that we take yeah. um, are, are healthy or, or purposeful or responsible ones. Right. Um, so I think it's worth everyone tuning in. If you check out Google, the nine principles of the, the Blue Zone philosophy, and then let me know, comment, share how many you already practice, which one you want to adopt, um, or why, you know, you think it's impossible for you to, to figure out a way in your circumstance to do so. Because um, it's, it's important to just keep the, the conversation going. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about your companies and projects. Your company is called Three Squares. And I know there's got to be a reason you named it that. What's the, the meaning behind that? So it's super simple. And okay. you actually started the, the intro today um, talking about the triple bottom line or this principle that the the people and the planet and the people planet profit or social environmental economic spheres have to work together right mm -hmm. so we can't have one without the other we can't have a solution that is great for the environment but it's bad for society or bad for people um, and so we are a business that is is in business to make sure that all three of those pillars are aligned in a way that support each other which i think is such a great three-prong strategy for anyone starting their own business and i too right now I'm trying to look at my business endeavors and go how can I green these and what can I do with this um, what about the women in green forum what is the the women in green forum and and your objectives and results with it sure. so about 10 years ago I was new we had just started the business so we're a small women-owned business and we were get, getting asked by clients to organize a lot of projects a lot of conferences mm -hmm. or trade shows in the environmental sector and what we realized is that 99% of the people speaking at the podium were men. Um, and then we mm -hmm. looked in the audience and it was about 98% um, were men. Mm. And um, it struck us that we know that there's an opportunity for women in the environmental industry. Mm -hmm. We know that there are amazing women doing great work, mm -hmm. but for some reason, they're not at the podium. And so we wanted to create a space, um, a forum, an annual gathering for women in the environment to get together, to showcase and highlight the women leaders in the industry, put them on stage, um, but to also create a space to build a pipeline of future leaders. Right. And so having youth... Uh, Having students at the forum has yeah. always been something that has been part of our, our commitment. We have a student scholarship program. So students, uh, high, we've even had high school students, high school, undergrad, grad students apply. They attend the forum for free. Mm. And then they're matched one-to-one -one with a mentor, so a professional in the nice. field. And so this mentorship program allows them to experience being at a professional conference, learning about all of the different careers in the environment, and then 
um, hopefully, um, landing a, an internship or a job as well. So if people are listening right now and they want to pursue a career in environmental studies or science, um, do you have recommendations or any resources that they can check out? I do. So I actually wrote an article on LinkedIn and it's called, it's called Looking for a Career in the Environment? Question mark. You are not alone. And the reason I did that is because I get the question a lot. What do I do? How do I get in? It's so exciting. I want to be I want a career like yours. Yeah. And I wish I had the time to sit down with everyone who asked me that question. Um, but what I did instead is I created this article and I listed all of the things that I would tell you or show you or review with you um, if I had an hour. Okay. And so it basically helps you um, find your way in building out the type of career that you want, looking at all of the options, and then really getting into the network early on, which is mm. super important. So get out there, meet people, start to build your professional network as soon right. as you can. I think we'll um, we'll add the link to the description so everyone can just click Great. right away and, and get involved. Um, now, you've also seen the inside of political parties because of your work. Um, what should we look for if we're wanting to vote pro-Earth? in our next elections. Can you tell us what projects or people are supporting the environment? Obviously, barring getting too partisan and yep. whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to at least know if your candidate or candidates um, have a stance on environmental issues, right? The reason why it's important is if you don't look at that and or look through that lens, um, you, we could get into a situation like today where we've stepped back a lot in the U.S., step back mm. a lot of environmental um, progress that we made on the policy side many, many years. So even on the, on the e our EPA, our Environmental Protection Agency's website, um, the word climate you know, has been stripped, for example. Um, and a lot of the resources and links to t calculators and things that we used to use all of the time don't exist anymore. So we've lost a lot of the great resources and work that went into building out some of these websites um, for, for the public good because we're in a situation where environment isn't top priority. And so I think it's really important when you vote to really vote with someone who at least understands that environmental policies matter. Are we teaching and equipping the policymakers about the environment? The environmental community, so environmental nonprofits, environmental activists, um, are putting a lot of pressure on candidates to come out with strong statements on the environment. Mm -hmm. um, and they're bombarding them with research and papers and messages and calls and emails because if they don't understand how important this is, then other interests could prevail. And I think that's really the focus is we want to make sure that the candidates that are running for any office, even, you know, city council, local local races, all right. the way up to the highest races, right. it's important that this issue is top of mind. I mean, are, are we able to reach out to them and yeah. let them know that we're passionate about this? And because as I said in the intro, we could talk about poverty, we could talk about education, we could talk about all of these massive um, crises. But if if we don't have the planet, yeah. What are where we? Where are we? Yeah, yeah. where are we <laughs> yeah. to, to deal with the rest? Um, so, can can you, if we were to summarize everything, um, can you give us the easiest, clearest site or source you recommend if we are inspired um, or just want to flat out like green our entire lives right here, right now? 
Sure. <laughs> From a voting perspective, the League of Conservation Voters is a great resource. So okay. they actually do a deep dive on all of the candidates um, for every race, pretty much, mm -hmm. uh, to, and, and rate them in terms of their environmental record. So that's a great thing to look at. And I, I would say any issue that you care about, if you care about women and getting women elected, there is an organization or an association out there that vets candidates and okay. looks at their credentials on that particular issue. So I think that's, a, that's, that's something that didn't exist pre-internet or pre-Google. you know Google. And I think it's, it's great as voters that we can inform ourselves and vote aligned with issues that we care about. Right. Um, so that's one thing. Um, another great website as a, as a personal resource is Earth911. Um, it's a great way to just, you know, you might have something that you need to recycle that's an, a weird or odd item like tires and you want to, where can I recycle this locally? Mm. You can just um, type that in and they'll find a resource for you. Nice. Yeah. And companies who are making eco-friendly products affordably? Uh, affordably. <laughs> what types of products? Um, housewares, uh, clothing, anything that you feel comfortable advocating for? So instead of advocating for specific products, what I would say is check out the bloggers. So mm. I think one of the best, and, and I follow a ton of them, um, but there are, are really great sustainable fashion or sustainable home blogs. Um, and not only do they try and test every product, but they're under the scrutiny of the viewers. Right. Um, so they feel the pressure to really vet them as, as much as possible. And so okay. a lot of times we learn about new cool places to shop or places to eat. For example, I just went to um, a vegan restaurant last night in L.A. called Nick's on Beverly. Oh, cool. um, and I've learned about it. It's fantastic. I learned about it because this um, this blogger that I follow who, yeah. who talks about all this amazing vegan food um, showed a, a photo of their lunch. And I was like, that looks amazing. I want to try it. And so okay. I think that's a great way to try to figure out new places. to. And it integrates into what we're naturally doing as we're scrolling on social media. Exactly. <laughs> so just maybe, you know, yeah. try some environmentally friendly hashtags and see yeah. what, what bloggers and people you find. Um, just circling back to the voting component, I think we really just have to consider environmental science not as a partisan issue. It's not like a liberal value. It's a nonpartisan truth-based fact. Completely. <laughs> um, and it, it amazes me that we're not there yet, but I do understand. I, I totally get from the aerial view how, how that happens. Um, so last question, how can we support you and what you're doing? I mean, I would just love everyone to take away from this talk that you know, they don't have to be Alison Stoner or Jamie Knack to put on a, a hat and, and, and look at things through a lens of how can we make the planet better, right? So every one of us has mm -hmm. a role to play. There's yeah. space for you. Um, and In any, fact, you're already affecting everything yeah. anyway. Yeah, you're already affecting every. So just think of your decisions and what you say to the person in front of you, what you post online, whether you swipe right or left, every decision you make has an impact, right? And so in terms of if you want to get more involved, we work with Al Gore's organization, the Climate Reality Project, and the mission of the organization is to educate and engage climate leaders, you know, everyday people all over the world, and so that they can feel empowered to go out and talk about climate science and engage their communities. And so this year, we have five trainings, um, and they're free. You just have to apply to attend. Um, but there are trainings to be a climate leader. There are okay. two or three day trainings. Um, and that's Climate Reality's uh, program. And they, we can find it where? ClimateReality.org. 
amazing. Yeah. I have some friends who have gone through the training and I know I'm long overdue to do it myself. You should come. So, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm going to rope you in. <laughs> okay, perfect. I'm down. Um, well, this has been so informative and, and also inspiring. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Jamie. Thank you for everything that you do too. Yeah. Now, everyone, before we go to one more commercial and do our mantras, um, I want to bring this question to mind for you to explore. Have you thought about what kind of ancestor you are and what kind of ancestor you want to be? Do you want to live on this earth as an interested bystander or step into actuating your values and potential, especially to protect the planet for those you love and the future of our human family? One thing is clear, um, our lifestyles change depending on whether we see ourselves as separate from or superior to the planet versus an equal part of the ecosystem. And Living sustainably isn't just about making better decisions. It's about shifting this call to action from being a to-do list to a way of being, the way that you are in everything you do. So there's a lot to consider. Now, if you hear all of this and you still don't know where to start, I want to highlight a special organization that helps combat climate change called Choose. That's C-H-O-O-O. S-E. Basically, with a monthly subscription, you can directly support some of the uh, most impactful CO2-reducing projects around the world. So these projects are carefully handpicked by their international carbon advisory team and verified by acknowledged institutions like, is it Veritas? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Veritas? Am I hungry? I'm looking at this thinking <laughs> that that is food. DNV, GI, and the UN. So far, one billion pounds of CO2 have been reduced by 94,500 supporters. For example, for 10 bucks a month, you can reduce more than your own CO2 footprint. And the monthly climate effect equals 11 fewer flights from Oslo to London. By the way, you can also purchase these as gifts for others in their name or have your business sign up for it. So it is your choice. Um, I hope you choose, choose, and to uh, take care of the planet. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and we will do our weekly mantras. All right, time for our weekly mantras. I will say each twice and you can follow in the space for the third. Use these to reshape how you view yourself and the planet and um, write them down if you want. Um, save them as notes, write them on your mirror, whatever you need to make those changes. We'll start with number one. I will embrace and support the power and presence of nature. I will embrace and support the power and presence of nature. Second, I am a conscious consumer. Every choice matters. I am a conscious consumer. Every choice matters. And third, I'm transitioning from interested bystander to an agent of change. I'm transitioning from interested bystander to an agent of change. Mm, I feel really motivated, um, so I can't wait to see 
what all the takeaways are from this episode for you, make sure you leave me a comment on social media or YouTube or however you're listening um, and engaging because I would love to hear what, what you're learning. And of course, there will be more information in the description. So just use all the resources and uh, share this episode with anyone you think it can inspire. Thank you again, Jamie, for being here. And um, we'll see you next time for more Simplexity. It's anything but small talk. Peace.